So last year, uh, Disney had uh, a new uh, movie musical that came out that was a, a smash hit. I, I kind of follow kids' movies and musicals because I have kids. Uh, you might be familiar with it because of grandkids or great-grandkids. Uh, the movie was called Encanto. Uh, so I don't know rings a bell or not, but uh, the, this tells a story through the eyes of this girl, Mirabelle, uh, who's part of a family that each has special gifts, you know, super hearing. Uh, there's somebody who uh, the food they cook has healing powers. Another person has super strength. Another person has a weather-controlling mood. So if she's happy... Then, you know, the sky is clear, everything's great. If she's sad or angry or upset, you know, the storm clouds roll in. Uh, these are just a few of some of the gifts in the movie. And it had a number of popular songs. Uh, but probably the most popular song uh, was a song called We Don't Talk About Bruno. And uh, talk about Bruno. All right. So... You know, if you've, if you've seen the movie, like, you know the song, and then there's something about it, just whenever it plays, like, you can't sing it and not move. Right? I saw a couple, I saw a couple of you out there, you know, we're gonna, we used to have, uh, square dancing in here. I think we're gonna start, like, salsa dancing classes or something, you know, but, anyways, uh, Bruno's, Bruno had this, this ability. He, he had visions where he could see the future. And sometimes this vision that he had wouldn't be all that good. And so this song, uh, we don't talk about Bruno goes through this long list of people who had bad experiences with some of the visions that Bruno had. Uh, but then one day Bruno disappeared and he wasn't to be talked about again, right? Whether it was because there was this pain of him missing uh, or the bad taste that his visions of the future left, he wasn't to be talked about. Uh, it was as though the family believed that if they didn't talk about Bruno, that, that nothing bad would happen. If we don't talk about Bruno, then everything's going to be all right. Rather than dealing with the situation, Rather than, than uh, you know, having this opportunity to talk about feelings or beliefs, they just shoved it all down to hopefully never deal with it. Uh, this is really kind of the way that a lot of people deal with things. I, I think maybe that's one of the points of the movie is like we can't just push things down and never, never deal with it, never discuss it. Uh, rather than dealing with what's in front of us, we decide to not talk about things. Uh, we, we either push it down or we push it to the side and we don't, we don't address it. If you grew up like me, you probably heard uh, the statement, you know, you don't talk about politics and religion in polite company, right? It's just another way, you know, we, we push it to the side. We, put, we push it down. We don't, we don't deal with things. Uh, but there are times when we have to talk about things, when we, when we have to talk about Bruno. Um, and, and now is one of those times. The current debates... Uh, within the United Methodist Church, which is essentially whether we will ordain or perform marriages for persons in same-sex relationships in the church, uh, it brings the discussion of human sexuality to the forefront. And there are many more things that I would rather talk about. Because I think there's many more things that, that we can read about in Scripture that, that speak to the mission of our church to help people know Jesus, grow more like Jesus, and go serve Jesus. But because this is a pressing conversation within our denomination, it puts it upon us to explore the scriptures, to see how God has created us and how God calls us to live. Now, as we talk about scripture and human sexuality, 
We have this uh, framework that's been given to us by our own uh, New Testament professor, Dr. David De Silva, which I think is a very helpful way to think about and have these conversations. Uh, He made a presentation last year called Loving All on the Journey to Holiness. Uh, If you missed it, uh, you can find it on our YouTube page. If you go to YouTube and you find uh, our church, uh, and then you can can look for it there. Uh, But what this framework does is it helps us to see that, that we all have places where God's grace is leading us to follow this path that he's laid out for our lives. We all have places where God is calling us to pursue holiness. Uh, And so this morning we're going to read a few scripture passages that relate to holiness and then think about what that has to say about uh, how God calls us to live uh, in relation to human sexuality. And so our first of a multitude of scriptures this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. And so as you turn with me there, uh, you know, Peter was the, uh, Jesus called him the rock on which I'm going to build my church. Uh, Peter was commissioned by Jesus to care for the early Christian community. They had this conversation, uh, Jesus and Peter, where Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus tells him, feed my sheep, right? Take care of my lambs. This is your role. This is your job, your responsibility. And so Peter is riding out of this calling uh, to churches uh, who are facing persecution, uh, churches who are living in a difficult time, and he's encouraging them to be obedient to Jesus for the hope that awaits. And so as he's riding, he tells them this, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter gives the church a call to be holy, a call to put on Christ and all that they do, a a call to lay aside whatever desires they once had before knowing Christ so they could pursue him fully. This, This call to holiness that Peter offers is rooted in God's call to the people of Israel to be holy that comes from Leviticus 19 2, where God calls his covenant people to be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And so this echo of God's call to the people of Israel is Peter's invitation for the Christian community to understand themselves as God's people brought into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And then as followers of Jesus to understand ourselves as people who are shaped by his life, death and resurrection. And so to live in such a way that reflects Christ and his holiness, Uh, being in this community of faith that is living and longing for Christ's return, we are to discipline ourselves and pursue God's holiness. And so what does it mean to be holy as God is holy? Uh, God's holiness is essentially God's set-apartness from sin as defined by God. In uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. This means that there is no evil in God's character. There's no trace of it within who he is. 
And so God is able to set the terms of what it looks like to be holy. God is able to, to set the terms of what the right thing, the good thing, the holy thing is. Because in him, there is no evil. God can tell us what's right and wrong. God can tell us what is, uh, what is good and what we should do. What we should aspire to and pursue within our lives. So to be holy as God is holy uh, means, as Peter says, that we must discipline ourselves. So we no longer pursue the desires that we once had, and instead we pursue obedience to God's instructions for how we ought to live. To trust that God knows enough about what God is doing, that we can follow what he's laid out in his word. And so anything that we say about human sexuality falls within our understanding of pursuing holiness, of laying down our wants and desires to follow Jesus. This this laying down of our desires is is probably one of the most countercultural ideas that exists at this point in time. Our culture tends to point us into the direction of, uh, you know, whatever you desire, whatever feels good, it must be, it must be true. It must be good. Whatever it is that's going on that you think you should have, then you should. It must be pursued. But Jesus actually teaches us the opposite of that. In fact, what Jesus teaches is that we are to deny ourselves. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26, he says to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let them deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? What will they give in return for their life? Now, now Scripture lays out many ways that we are called to deny ourselves. Uh, In following Jesus, uh, we have to deny ourselves the right to take revenge. Uh, We have to deny ourselves the right to spend money however we want to, however we please. Uh, We have to deny ourselves the right to hate an enemy or hold a grudge. We deny ourselves the pursuit of power. We deny ourselves the things that we long for that are outside of God's will. There's a whole long list of ways that we are called to deny ourselves. You know, when, when I went to college, um, my, my initial goal was that I was going to pursue a career that was going to lead me to having lots of money, right? That's, that was what I was going to set out to do. Uh, I wanted a lot of money uh, so I could do all the things that I wanted. That was the number one desire that was shaping me at the time. Uh, I wanted money so I could get a Dodge Viper. Uh, uh, I wanted money so I could get attention from other people so I could be noticed. I wanted uh, money so I could have like the nice house, like all the, all the bells and whistles, the money to have all the toys, to, uh, the money so I could have attention from women. That was my mindset as I was starting college out. And I had all the intentions of going to law school. I even worked at a law firm. I had a, uh, joined a pre-law fraternity. But when I began to follow Jesus, when I began to read his word, I heard a different story and a different calling for my life. I had to deny those things that I thought that I wanted because Jesus was telling me there was something that was better. And at that time, it wasn't really to be a pastor. It was just to be somebody who loved the people that Jesus loved. There was this calling that I needed to deny myself the things that I wanted because I needed to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to provide housing for those who were without, to to offer relief to those who were oppressed. I had to let go of the desire to have wealth for the sake of wealth, wealth for the sake of attention, wealth to to feed my pride. And instead, I needed to pursue 
the things that Jesus was laying out for me, to pursue what God's desires were for me. To follow Jesus, to pursue holiness is to lay aside our own desires so that we might have the mind of Christ, who, though he was in, uh, existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. He became obedient uh, to death, even to death on a cross. Jesus models for us what self-denial looks like. Uh, As he goes to the cross, he's showing us what it means to deny yourself, to, to lay down your life, and to follow him fully. His prayer in the garden of Gethsemane before his death on the cross, not my will, but your will be done, becomes a model prayer for all of us. Uh, The cross is that ultimate act of self-denial and it becomes the example that we are to follow. It becomes a way of life for those who are to follow Jesus. And the places in my life where I have to deny myself and follow Jesus might be different than the places where you have to deny yourself and follow Jesus. But the call goes out to all of us. And there might be the case that one person feels the cross they are called to bear is more challenging than the next person's cross. I think that's part of why Jesus calls us into community with others so that we can help bear one another's crosses. That we don't go through this alone, but Jesus calls us together as a group of people following him, pursuing holiness so we can help bear one another's crosses. And knowing that I have my own cross that Jesus calls me to carry should humble me. It should help me to recognize my own deep need of grace so that I can be more willing to offer grace to others. Again, I think, uh, I think these frameworks are important to have as we talk about holiness, as we talk about human sexuality, because oftentimes conversations in the Christian church have uh, been far from grace-filled. Uh, They have failed to see the ways that self-denial calls each of us to make some adjustments in how we think and how we talk about sex and relationships and how the pursuit of holiness invites each of us to be transformed by God's grace. Uh, Oftentimes, I think it's like we're uh, we're like uh, people going out to play golf and and I'm, I'm sitting here pointing at the guy who hit the ball into the water talking about what a bad shot he made while... I'm in the sand trap hacking my way out, right? Being in the sand trap doesn't mean that the person who hit the ball into the water made a good shot, but hopefully it should help me to be a little bit more humble in my approach, remembering my own struggles, remembering my own sinful nature. It should help me to be humble when I come across others uh, in their own sinful natures. And there's a number of passages that we could reflect on together that that talk about human sexuality and in particular same-sex relationships. Romans 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Timothy chapter 1 could all be fitting. Uh, But what I'm going to invite us to read from this morning is Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And so we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Really, we're just going to read verse 3. The the whole passage, verse 3 through 8, provides good context. Uh, But verse 3 offers a good starting place for us. And so Paul's writing to the Thessalonians about the value of living a holy life. And as he writes, he says this, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Sanctified means to be made holy. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. 
As Paul is beginning his instructions on living a holy life, first thing that he mentions is sex. It's important to note when the Bible says sexual immorality, it essentially means any sex outside of God's purpose and plan, outside of God's law. And Paul isn't talking about sexual behavior here because it's the worst of all sin. He's talking about it here because in his time, sexual behavior outside of what God has created and called us for was, was perhaps most common. Paul and the Thessalonians lived in a world that had no sexual restraint. Sometimes I, I look at our own culture and I'm like, we kind of live at a similar sort of time, right? I, I'd say that our society is, is trying to throw off all sexual restraint, rejecting any boundaries around sex other than consent as either being oppressive or outdated. Uh, I mean, we just have to really just look at what's going on in pop culture around us. Uh, a few years ago, the pop singer Christina Aguilera, you might have recognized her as uh, one of the coaches on The, the Voice, uh, if you like the singing show, she did some promotional photo shoots for her new album called Liberated. Uh, and of course, Liberated meant that she was posing topless for this photo shoot. Right? I mean, sex sells and she was using that to help sell her album. Uh, I saw a Dear Abby column recently where a lady was asking for help because her boyfriend refused to stop going to strip clubs. She had asked him to stop going and said that, he, you know, you need to choose between me and going to the clubs. And his response was that freedom of choice was important to him. And so this poor lady was writing to dear Abby, looking for some assurance that, that her demands were in line, that there wasn't anything crazy about what she was suggesting, that, that perhaps her boyfriend was in the wrong. But instead, what dear Abby said is, you need to choose your battles carefully. And if it doesn't do anything more than look, then it shouldn't be a deal breaker. I mean, that's the kind of environment that we're living in. I imagine most of you all, just, just so that we assume this isn't just young people, right? I assume most of us are familiar with the statistic about the community that has the highest amount of STDs in our state, right? The, the retirement community south of Ocala called the Villages. And I wish, I wish the church was free from all of this. I wish we could say, you know what? This isn't, this isn't happening here. I, I wish that Paul's letter didn't have to be addressed to us. Uh, and now while the statistic that, that the divorce rate in churches is the same as it is outside the church isn't exactly true, it's still a little way too high. Around 30% of people who regularly attend church, of couples who regularly attend church, end up getting divorced. Uh, that's more than one out of every four. The number of men who identify as Christians that view pornography at least once a month is over 60%. I mean, there's, there's a reason why Paul is writing to the church about holiness and about sexual immorality. It's because it's an issue that affects all of us. And Paul is saying that the purpose for all of us, the purpose that God has called us to is to be sanctified, it's to be holy, it's to live in agreement with God's will for creation. And in order to do this, we need to avoid sexual immorality. We need to avoid... Sexual behaviors that fall outside of God's will for creation. See, when we, when we read scripture, we see that there is something greater for our lives, uh, for our bodies, for our relationships, and even our sexual behaviors that they're designed to point to. Our, our bodies are not only biological, 
They are also theological, meaning our bodies are to tell a divine story. Our, our bodies speak about God. As, Je- as Genesis tells us and as Jesus reminds us, at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. In the image of God, he created them and he called them to be fruitful and multiply. In this potential to be generative, to be fruitful and multiply, our bodies are telling a story about God. They're bearing the image of God. As Jesus interprets the creation story in the gospel, he says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Say, for this reason, for this purpose of being generative, for the purpose of symbolizing a truth about God and creation, a man and woman join together as one flesh. Paul goes on to make this a little bit more clear in his letter to the Ephesians. He says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. There's a way in which this union of man and woman point to the connection, the relationship between Christ and the church. There are differences and distinctions pointing to the differences and distinctions that exist between Christ and the church, but being brought together as one. So our purpose as humans is to be image bearers of God. The purpose of marriage and sex are to testify to the union of Christ and the church of God and the bridegroom. And God is not okay with us sleeping around with other gods. God is faithful and God calls us, his bride, the church, to be faithful to him. So if our bodies, our sex lives and singleness and marriage point to the greater reality of the relationship between Christ and the church, then sexual immorality is what falls outside of the love that points to, expresses, and reveals that kind of divine love. Sexual immorality is behavior that does not give a true image of Christ's love for the church, of the union between God and his bride that's expressed in this potentially generative work of a man and a woman. In calling us to sexual holiness, Paul is calling us to be renewed in our purpose as those who bear the image of Christ so that our lives might be able to testify to this union of Christ in the church. Now, over the past several years, as our church has grappled with what's going on in the United Methodist Church, and whether as a pastor and a church, uh, we marry people who are in same-sex relationships or whether people in same-sex relationships can be ordained, uh, there's been a number of questions that people have asked. And I've uh, attempted today to lay out my understanding of Scripture's vision for our sexual lives, to be celibate in singleness, to practice fidelity in a monogamous male and female marriage, the call to holiness and self-denial that accompany that. Uh, But questions come up. How does the church relate to people who are in same-sex relationships? Okay, so we don't marry people. We don't ordain them. What what do we do? Uh, How does the church relate to people who have been divorced? Because scripture talks about that or who are going through divorce. How does scripture speak to, how does the church relate to people who are cohabitating? And while the answer might be more complex than what we have time for, I think what guides our general posture and position as we talk to anybody uh, should, be, uh, should be what we read in Romans 5, 8. It says, God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved me when I had no interest in following him. 
God loved me before I could get, I mean, I don't have things right now, but God loved me uh, without me having to get all of myself right first. God continues to love me even, even as I'm far from perfect to this day. I believe that it's God love, God's love for me that continues to call me to be transformed, that continues to call me to pursue holiness as he is holy. And so my first response to anyone should be to offer them the love of Jesus. And out of that great love that Jesus has for all of us, to share this invitation to pursue God's holiness together. We're all on this journey together. And where God might be calling you to be transformed or deny yourself might be different than where God calls me to be transformed or deny myself. But we're in this together. As a church, all people should be invited to know the grace of God and Jesus Christ. All people should be offered grace to grow in Christ-likeness because each of us need that grace and encouragement within our own lives. Each of us need to hear that calling to grow in holiness as well. Each of us need one another around us to support us, to encourage us, to hold us accountable as we pursue Christ together. Let us pray. Gracious and almighty God, you have called us down this narrow road, the the road, the way, the path that leads to life. We pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom to follow, that you would give us grace Uh, to follow, humble us in the places where we become too prideful, help us to deny ourselves in the places where we put ourselves over your will and over your way. We pray, Lord, that, that as we seek to follow Christ, that others will be drawn unto him, that others will come to know of your goodness and your grace in and through us, your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.